Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If there was no other example in the world of a country getting it sorted quickly, we'd be fine. We'd be like, well, that's just the way it is. But when you mm. can see New Zealand dealing with it so well, you're like, ah, lads, fuck. It, and-, and then the vaccines, like people, you're looking at the other countries rolling them out in, the, in their millions and we're fucking 100,000. That, that's not good either. Like, you know? <laughs> but sure, look, we should be used to this by now in Ireland anyway. We should be used to this. This is all cool for on the record, Al, yeah? Yeah. Absolutely, Keith. Yeah, whatever you want. Yeah, no problem. Uh, just because it started. We've started. The it's the Keith Walsh Podcast. It's essential like your breakfast. It will get you up and going. There's the things you didn't know. Yeah, it's the Keith Walsh Podcast. It's the Keith Walsh Podcast. Give you energy like buck fast. And if your head's in a pickle or you're looking for a giggle, it's the Keith Walsh Podcast. Yeah. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome along to the one and only Keith Walsh podcast. I uh, I wrote a little jingle for the podcast, if you'd like to hear it, just for the crack, just cuz, why not? Um, I mean, I have, I'll have always have Ryan's, Ryan's is the jingle, it is the podcast jingle, Ryan Mack, the Keith Walsh podcast, that is the original, that's not going anywhere, that's the intro, that's the outro, set in stone, but you know... I've had it in my mind. I used to like writing sort of funny jingles or bits, putting funny bits to music and uh, inspired by other podcasts and other gentlemen uh, on podcasts, especially Adam Buxton, who's the king of, of that kind of thing. I thought I'd stretch my lyrical legs, although they're not really uh, much to look at in this song. And uh, it's a start. This is a start. You know, you gotta. everyone's got to start somewhere. So look, have a listen to this. It is... The very first jingle of uh, of this podcast since the like you know of mine that I've written myself. You know, Ryan Mack did that one himself. He's and he's a pro. This is just me messing around uh, with a little jingle for the podcast. Have a listen. Keith Walsh podcast, podcast, podcast. Yeah, yeah. I really like you, and you really like me too. And we can share this podcast, and it would be really cute. And I really like your shoes, and I really like good news. And I like little fluffy bunnies, cause they're so cute. The 
good isn't it pretty amazing i think it just it just encapsulates everything doesn't it it's it just is it's 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 art it's probably i could probably go to the eurovision with that or sing it on the eurostar maybe um anyway uh you're very welcome along it is the 25th of the second which means it's the 25th of february if you're listening to this it's 2021 we're still in level five lockdown has there been any movement? Not a huge amount. My uh, my daughter's due to six years due to go back to school in a couple of weeks. Is it two weeks or next? Maybe next week. Oh, Monday actually. They're due to go back. Yeah, they're due back Monday. Uh, there was a little bit of concern that the schools having cancelled the leaving cert would be like when you go back, be like, okay, boom, mocks time. Got to do mocks. Got to do exams. Got to do this. You know, there was a bit of worry about that because. When you're not doing the leave insert, then if you do have to do exams, big exams, mocks, that becomes the leave insert. You know that's that becomes the most important exam. So uh, there was a statement made, brought out by the department today saying no mocks, no no mock style, leave insert style exams between now and the end of the year. Uh, each teacher can give a maximum of three exams, and they can't be longer than an hour. So you know that's just to sort of make sure that schools don't go right. Here we go. Here's a big three hour exam. Effectively, the leave insert, which creates the exact same worry, stress, anxiety uh, as a leave insert. So they're uh, ruining all reason. Ruining all reason? Somethinging all reason for getting rid of the, mo- uh, the leave insert in the first place. So that's good news. Everybody's happy. Um, so yeah, that's good. We're happy. Uh, do I have any other news? I don't think so. I won't. I won't uh, talk too much in the intro. I'll have a little bit of a chat with you before I go at the end, just before the outro, uh, because myself and Alan, Alan Cawley is his name. We had a good old chat. Now there's probably going to have to be a part two to this because I, I, I mostly spoke about his early football career, and and even at that, I didn't even get to touch on a lot of that. There was a lot of questions I want to ask him, and I didn't get to it. So. Um, we will definitely do a part two. Alan, if you're listening, call me. Just looking at Al- I know Alan from, he works in 2FM. He did the sports show. Uh, he's still on. He's still he's still on Fridays, I think, with uh, Donica and the guys and the gang. Um, Marie and, uh, is what you call him still on it? Ruby? Um, I think Alan comes on a Friday and talks about the football. And uh, he was on that show himself with Hugh Cal uh, for five years around the same length of time I did the 2FM breakfast show so we, we know each other well and we would have been we're part of a regular football match which happens every Wednesday during the day if you work in radio you're either working on breakfast radio or working in the night time obviously if you're working <laughs> there are people who work during the day but this was a uh, a football match set up in Dublin I think it was the news talk lads that might have set it up it was kind of news talk versus RT initially 
and he had a lot of news talk presenter type legends and RT presenter type legends, sports people mostly. And they met up every Wednesday and they had a match. I think it was Jared Gilroy kind of got it going. Um, and yeah, I used to play that game um, when I was on the breakfast show on a Wednesday. And Alan Cawley was uh, one of the lads. I'm just trying to think who would have been there that you might know. Um, we used to have the odd international. Kenny Cunningham played a few times. Kevin Kilban used to come down. Keith, I'm going to say Andrews, is that his name? Keith Andrews? Is that his name? Uh, the guy with the curly hair. Um, it is Keith, isn't it? Uh, who else used to play? Was there anybody else famous? Joe from Off the Ball. A few of the Off the Ball lads that you'd probably know. And some of the second captain lads as well would, would have played as well. So um, yeah, it was a good... A good bunch, good, good bit of crack, and uh, so I kind of I got to know Alan very well. Um, his wiki page, this is his football career, his see, his youth career. He played with Belvedere, but he was he was playing football in Sligo before that. He, he explains all in our chat. He was um, his senior career included playing with Leeds United ninety eight to two thousand. He then went to Sheffield Wednesday two thousand two thousand and two. He then came home and uh, went to UCD. Played UCD for a year, went to Shelburne for a year. Um, oh, three goals for UCD, 45 appearances. Then he went along for town for a little spell. UCD, Watford United, Bray Wanderers. He was with Bray Wanderers 2007-2008. 57 caps, 11 goals. Mm, that was a good time. Uh, 2009, St. Patrick's Athletic. Tells the story of that. Scored two goals, made 25 appearances. And uh, then Dundalk, Portadown and Port Marnock AFC. Does he still play for Port Marnock? Uh, two caps for Republic of Ireland under 17 1999 so yeah there you go uh, it was great to chat to him because I do have a keen interest in football and especially the football of the 90s when you know I was watching Manchester United and Leeds had a great football team and uh, I was uh, very much interested in finding out more about that uh, and we didn't really get to talk a huge amount but we we we, we got enough we got enough I got I got I was happy enough with it. Uh, but I definitely want to get him back on for a part two at some stage because he then, after the football career, went on to become a fo- football pundit. You'd see him on the telly talking about the, especially the League of Ireland games. Uh, he's big on the League of Ireland scene um, and hopefully in the near future he'll be uh, doing the Champions League games and all that kind of stuff as well because uh, that's... He's good enough. He's a good pundit. He knows his stuff. Um, he talks a lot of sense. So... Uh, is there anything else I need to say to you about this chat? I think if you're not into football, it's the same way as uh, listening to Dunners, Donnie Callahan. Um, I think you pick up a lot, and it's just very interesting to hear the story of how a young lad gets signed. Like he went over to, he could have gone over to Leeds. I think when he was 15, he went over when he was 16. Uh, just to hear about that, how that all works. Uh, very interesting. And Alan was very kind of open and uh, willing to share his stories and uh, exactly what went on. And a very interesting story about how he nearly signed for Sligo Rovers and how that kind of didn't happen. And But he's sorry that it didn't happen a little bit. But that's that's life. Anyway, without further ado, it is episode 72 of the Keith Walsh podcast. It's me talking to my good friend, Alan Cawley. Enjoy. I'm okay, man. How are you? Good, good. What's the crack? <laughs> Since no. the last time I seen you. No crack. I'm seen. Yeah, I'm, 
And uh, what, what, how do you feel today about the about the news? The the nine weeks. I know, are- Keith. Yeah, it's fucking. Well, look, I'm. You know me anyway. I'd be positive about everything, but the first lockdown, I I enjoyed, and um, it actually felt good, Keith, just to press stop and pause on everything, and just spend a bit of time with the kids. And obviously, the weather was great. And we're lucky where we are at the beach and you have lots of things to kind of on your doorstep where we could go walking. And I was doing things I'd never do, really, you know. Um, so I loved all that. Did a bit of the live chats, the podcast there. So there was all different things going on and it was good. like. And um, But I have to say, see, since Christmas, I found it. Now, not just me personally, I just sensed from everybody around that it was really tough going with the weather and it was very bleak. It, it just seemed like there was no end in sight whatsoever. And and then the weather picked up last Sunday and this week has been quite good. And it was the first morning I felt like, oh, on Sunday, Monday, it felt like there was a bit of hope. Spring was in the air. And then that news last night, I don't know if that set everyone back again. Like, it's it's not good. Yeah, you're the first adult I've spoken to besides my wife since, the, you know, since this morning. We were kind of in the kitchen myself and uh, my daughter, Anna, who is an adult, she's 18, and we were chatting about it and just saying... Is she 18 now, Keith? Yeah. Yeah, she is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's insanity. Yeah, it uh, is. It is insanity, yeah. <laughs> but uh, so we were chatting about it, and, uh, you know, you're, tr- you're just trying... Like, all you can do is sit in it and, and just kind of... Like, I think it's hard when people... When people think, oh, it'll be over by February, we'll be, you know, yeah. we'll be out of lockdown, and then that those hopes are dashed, and then they have to look at another... You just kind of... You're better off just going, look, when it's over, it's over. I'll wait till it's over. (laughs) That's what I found at the start as well, that there was always like an end goal or there was a a date in your mind. And even if they come out now, and I know they probably can't, but if they come out and said, look, the the 4th of April or whatever, at least you have something to aim towards. And I think people would row in behind that. The fact that there was so much uncertainty and then for that, and I think what's what's really awkward as well, and what's not doing them any favors, the way the information has been leaked, Keith, is not good either. Like you know, like me and Martin went and done that in an interview last night with some newspaper, like you know, um, and Eamon Ryan was on today, was on one of the shows saying, "Oh no, no, we don't know. There's no decision." And the other fellas off telling everyone it's going to be nine weeks. Like it's just I don't know, and and I don't like I wouldn't be. I obviously follow the politics, but I wouldn't be mad into it. Uh, but I I know what's going on, and I follow each of them I think Stephen Donnelly's been an absolute disaster um, whereas back at the very start and I don't know if this was in Leo's favour I wouldn't be his biggest fan but it was almost like they had it under control or they knew what they were doing I don't know that he just get the early part but the easy part and now me is left with all the shite <laughs> yeah I think Leo's a, cl- Leo's a clever lad isn't he he's like yeah I'll, Leo's I'll, cute I'll do the start bit and you can take over then in a few, <laughs> a few months don't that'd be grand but the problem is we're, we're all looking at New Zealand and Australia and we're like yeah. why, why can't we do what they did and uh, apparently we can't for some reason I don't know and it's just it's frustrating if if there was no other example in the world of a country getting it sorted quickly, we'd be fine. We'd be like, well, that's just the way it is. But when you mm. can see New Zealand dealing with it so well, you're like, ah, lads, fuck. It, and-, and then the vaccines, like people, you're looking at the other countries rolling them out in, the, in their millions and we're fucking 100,000. That, that's not good either. Like, you know. <laughs> but Sherlock, we should be used to this by now in Ireland anyway. We should be used to this. This is all cool for on the record, Al, yeah? Yeah. Absolutely, Keith. Yeah, whatever you want. Yeah, no problem. Uh, just because it started. We've started the chat already. Okay, um, no problem. And How uh, are you anyway? 
Yeah, good. I'm. I'm. I mean, like, I, it's hard to it's hard to tell people you're okay because you feel bad saying it. Um, I, I'm kind of enjoying the lockdown. It suits me at the moment, um, just because the type of work I'm doing now. And like at the at the the first lockdown, I was doing I was on RT. I was doing gold every day, so that kind of I was busy, you know. Mm. Uh, and then this lockdown, I'm bashing out the podcasts. I'm doing a bit of this, a bit of that. Of a few, as I call it, a few side hustles on the go. And uh, it's just suiting me to just be at home. The missus has started up her own business. She's working from home. So we're here. The kids are in school virtually. And I kind of feel like we, we'll, that we'll look back on this time as a family and be glad mm. that we had this time together. Like Anna's 18, she'll go off to college. We'll never, you know, not that we'll never see her again, but, you know, she yeah. hopefully she'll go to college. Hopefully she'll get married and have a family of her own and all that kind of stuff. So this, this is kind of the last time possibly we'll all hang out as a family as in you know, like this so I, I feel like it's it's a, a blessing in a way you know yeah and that's that's the major positive I've taken from it as well Keith. particularly as I say the first one because the amount of time and even not even the time the time is precious but the things and activities and stuff we were able to get up to and all and simple little things like I'm not talking about going to play centers or things that you like things where you're just climbing a mountain or walking up a hill or walking on the beach or playing on the beach or whatever the case may be just and that's what I loved about it was the simplicity of it all because I think that's been lost on people over the years as well and people got people ran away with themselves got carried away with themselves people were like just gone bananas really I felt where um and they never I don't think people even realized what was the most important things to them uh, whereas I felt the first lockdown was maybe a place for people to just draw a line and say, look, we need to prioritize what's really important to everyone. Um, and that's why I found it really, really good. And I know the weather helps. It's amazing the impact. I didn't realize either the impact weather can have. You obviously go on holidays in, the, in Spain and you think, oh, the sun, it's brilliant for a couple of weeks. Even here when the sun shines, the difference it makes to people, you know. But I think that's why we like with mental health now in the country, there's a real problem because I think... You can distract yourself with a holiday in a few months or, you know, you have little things that, you know, you're, you've got a wedding coming up or you've got, a, you know, you've all these things to kind of look forward to on the horizon. So you never really deal with the day, like where you're at in that moment. You're just looking for always looking forward, looking forward, mm. looking forward to whatever it is, buying a new car, going on holidays. It's all material stuff, you know, and we distracted ourselves for too long. And now when you're forced to just lock down, you have no holiday to go to. You're just looking at the four walls and each other and, you know, it's tough for some families, but for other families, it can be like a, a realization of, you know, a, a bit of sort of gratitude and like, oh, wow, I'm, I'm, mm. you know, how lucky you are to, to have what you have and just actually appreciate it. What, what age are the kids that, at? The kids now are um, seven and 11, Keith. So Lovely. they're at a good age as well. Yeah. yeah. And obviously, Harry's at an age where he's like a little pal now. It's not like you're minding your son. It's like you're hanging out with your buddy and the crack we have. And he's great. Like, and he loves the football and, well, whatever he wants to get up to, like, you know, it's he's he's a little pal, as I say. Me and now I found it harder, a little bit harder with Mia in the sense. Um, she found it more difficult being away from her pals and her buddies. And the only interaction she was having was on the phone or on um, stuff like that. And I found that difficult as well at times because I wanted to be out and about, but she wanted to be maybe on the phone or d- doing whatever, like interacting with them. And I was kind of almost calling a halt to that at times. And, it was just difficult. It was it was harder for her. She's at that age where I suppose they're the things that she wants to be doing now in terms of daddy, look, 
I loved you for the first eight or nine mm. years, but will you just leave me alone now for a couple of years kind of thing? Now, she's a great kid. They're great kids. We're, I'm lucky in that sense. But um, that was kind of the slight differentiation, whereas Harry was just, let's go to the moon. Oh, yeah, let's go to the moon, Daddy. Whereas me, it was more like, oh, I don't really fancy a walk today or I don't want to go on a walk kind of thing, you know? Yeah, you kind of like it's that's the I suppose, you know, you're you've got all that ahead of you for another little while, Al, you know. That's uh, why I said to you when I asked about Anna being 18, I was like, Oh, Keith, what am I in for, really? Kind of thing, you know, because everybody tells me it gets harder the older to get, and I don't know, like, she's at the age where she's a great kid and all that. I don't think I want her to get any older. <laughs> That's the thing, but the, but it'll be easier for you if you let her have a bit of space, you know. I think mm. the worst thing, and dads are probably, mams are probably better at handling it a little bit, but 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 you know that can that can be interesting as well. That dynamic, the mammy and the daughter, but dads find it a bit harder to let go. And I think Anna's Anna's Anna has been a been a dream, like you know, mm. as long as you give them a bit of space and you know whatever they're into, you have to get rather than tell them they can't do x y and z you have to be interested in that with them you know and sort of get into their world rather than sort of you know because there is a disconnect because with the lads you have the football or you know mm. the skate park or whatever they're into you know it's a bit easier to get into what they're into or you know, like with my young lad we might sit down and watch match of the day together or you know if there's a champions league game on we might watch that together and talk about and he'll tell me who all the players are because i can't yeah, remember yeah 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 yeah, yeah. and yeah. uh but with Anna, you you have to make an effort to sort of well, yeah. where where's she at and what's she interested in? How can I be part of that? You know, and then they don't really want you to be part of it either. But it's it's it's, it's that's an interesting the thing. Like I, yeah, because she loves horse riding was her thing. That's her outlet. Obviously, that's all been stopped. Um, but even at that, it's a case of okay, Daddy, you bring me. You get to the door, you drop me off, but then you're not allowed to stay and watch. You can't be putting up videos of me and all this kind of stuff. So she's completely at that stage, you know. Like I, because I, the way I am, chat to everyone, all her little pals would be around, you'd meet them on the street, and I'm chatting to all the you know, and she's like, Daddy, stop talking, and you know this crack. So it's, it to, is an interesting one. You have to accept the rejection and be like, almost be like, look, <laughs> look, I'm cool. You don't need me at the moment, but listen, I'm here for when you need me, right? And that's it. Yeah. That's that's your role, you know? So you just kind of, you know, it's hard, but, it just, just to deal with the rejection is the hardest part, you know? But they are good. Like, we're, we're very lucky. They're great kids, to be fair, you know? Um, any, uh, are you playing any five? There's, there's nothing even, there's no... Not a thing, Keith, no. Would no. you believe, you know what I'm doing? I'm doing a lot of running, right? That's another thing with the lockdown. Wow. And I do laugh and joke now with people. I know you went, went through the phase of obviously the fitness and the running and all that stuff, but I'm probably doing more running now than I did when I was playing. <laughs> and if you were to listen, if you were to speak to any of my coaches, they'd say him, he wouldn't run when he was supposed to run. And now he's running around parks, left, right and center. But, um, we Are have you... the castle on the ground, close to us, Malahai Castle and the beach. So I found that a great outlet as well. And I wouldn't be, you've, you've played football with me. I'm, I'm ground when I have the ball kicked. That, if you speak to any of my coaches, that's what they tell you. Oh, when he's with the ball, he's grand. Off the ball now, I wasn't the greatest, kind of hardest worker in the world. So, um, But I enjoyed running, yeah. Um, and do... <laughs> Are you with, with hindsight now enjoying the running? Do you look back at your younger self and sort of are you like a little bit like after what? Uh... Not really, not really. No, um, I suppose that's a different conversation altogether in terms of looking back on, say, the career, the football side. I'm laughing and joking there, a bit tongue in cheek about. But if there was a label, like it's like labels get put on people, right? So years ago when I would have played, that would have been my label. 
with the ball, a dream. Without the ball, forget about it. This kind of thing, you know, if you were to just narrow it down into two sentences. And that would have stuck with me over the years. Now, I used to rail against it. Like, no, I, I'm, I'm okay without the ball. I'll do me work and all. But it's funny when once you're labelled, it's very hard to get that label off you. Um, and that's one thing I found over the years, playing, playing wise. And when I look back now, because it's easier when you look back at things as you're older and you're, you're out of that kind of thing, um, that environment as such. And when I was saying, when I went to England first, 16 to 20, talent wise, I would have been fine. I would have been naturally kind of talented and uh, technically I was very good. So that, there was never a question mark on any of that stuff. But the question mark was always, what is he like without the ball? So the argument, like I suppose, to put it easy, in easier terms, if you were playing for Liverpool now or Guardiola or any of these or whatever manager, you have to put in a shift without the ball. It's not just when you have the ball kind of thing. So when I look back now, I often think between 16 to 20, if I knew what I know now, I would have been a million percent different at that age, 16 to 20. Not so much as the years have gone on, but certainly when I had the opportunity in England. Also, I was very slight and skinny when I was young. And now the time I went, it wasn't so much about the fitness the way it is now in the SNC stuff, but whereas obviously a footballer takes off his top now, they're all ripped, they're all in great condition, they're all looking after themselves so well. It was that was just taken off when I was in England in '98. So, but I still should have been in the gym and working out. I had all the facilities, I had no excuses whatsoever. Everything was there, it was up to me then. But it would have been great to have someone to kind of maybe just forced me into it as well because when I went to England at the start it was very very difficult leaving home for for initially I was coming from Sligo I grew up in, in a small town uh, with friends and family around me thinking this is it this is this is it forever like I'll never go to Dublin or go wherever that was never even on the horizon then you're thrown out in not thrown out but then you're kind of landed in a big city in England and it's like away you go um, and I found the first year very very difficult and I thought as well back then that it was just a case of, well, look, you're here purely on talent, so you just go out and play football. But you don't see all the other hard work that goes into it. And there's so much other stuff that goes into it. People only see the fame and the fortune, but don't see the hardship and the hard work and the grafting that goes on and, and the ruthlessness nature of the industry as well. Like it's really horrible, um, ruthless industry also. So... Those things I look back and think, yeah, if I had the opportunity now. But as I always say to people, Keith, if I was to sit down with 20 people in a room, whether they were a, a bus driver, a postman, uh, a milkman, an IT consultant, and you were to sit down and ask any of them, would you change anything if you were 16, 17 again? Every single one of them would change something. So it's not just the case of me and football. It's everything in life. It's just a life learning type thing so that's the only thing yeah I often look back it's not and it's not even a regret it's just something I suppose because of the stuff I do now where you're analyzing stuff I look back on me and analyze well what could you have done there or should you have done or and I know the faults say um and it was just purely down to that kind of stuff like there was one example where I remember my dad came over to visit I would have been about 17 18 now at this stage and and that was the that was the general consensus with the ball he's great without the ball we have worries so Eddie Gray, who's like a famous, who's a legend in Leeds, and Eddie Gray was the coach with David O'Leary, the first team coach at the time. And I remember, and Eddie Gray was great to all of us. And I remember my dad coming over and just having a chat, like, you know, how's he getting on, Eddie? And she's look, Ronnie, it's the same thing as what we said last year and now this year. With the ball, we don't have a question mark. Without the ball, we do worry. 
And he says, look, to, to put it simply for you, if I was to put him in the first team tomorrow, he says, Roy Keane would eat him alive, basically, how he put it, like, you know, uh, just the physicality side of it. And, and that was the one area where I would have maybe struggled and was labelled. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, like, I, from, from, from my limited experience of playing with you, because I obviously I wouldn't have seen you playing. I don't don't think I would have. Um, you you know you you enjoy your football, but you, you, when you're on the ball and you you like to be given the space. And I suppose the reality is, if you're a good player, if you're a talented player like you clearly are, and you have skills, and you know you can clearly play football, you'd probably be taken out of it. Like yeah all, yeah all well it's and. Yeah, and another thing with that, Keith, I suppose, um, and again, it's not regrets. You're just looking, it's, you're just looking the way things are. And you look at the modern game, I would have come into it, I would have played in an era. So 98, it was just taken off. And I mentioned Roy Keane, so you have Patrick Vieira, and it was all about strength and physicality and, and, and big specimens of men kind of thing. And there was probably more emphasis on the physical side of things rather than the technical side of things. Then Guardiola comes along with Barcelona and it's all this ticky-tacky and Spain and all the emphasis then goes to the technical side of things and we're in an era now where we've been left behind I suppose the Irish side of things because that would have been the main focus as even as I was growing up now luckily for me I was good technically but I wasn't strong whereas if I played now you're looking at it nobody tackles now you get a, you, it's all about just playing referees protect the players and it's more or less a game of you have it we have it it's more interceptions rather than actually tough tackling um, so I often look and think if I was playing now, sure, it'd be a dream to play now. Now, it's a lot faster and they're fitter and stuff like that. But it's, it's, diff- it's, it's interesting to see the change. And even you look at Stephen Kenny, I suppose, managing Ireland at the moment. And Stephen has a philosophy where he wants to get it down and play in the modern way. And that's kind of what we're trying to change now. And, and it's hard. He's going, to ha- he's going to find it difficult to change that emphasis from where it was because we would have Jack Charlton and Mick McCarthy and all those over the years where it was all just up and at him and um, put him under pressure and all this kind of stuff. He's trying to obviously change that. But we're miles behind when it comes to all the other countries because they've changed that 10, 20, 30 years ago. And that would have been all the emphasis on, for them growing up. And you often think if, I was, if you grew up in another country, would you have a better chance of playing? Um, like Wes Hulahan is the prime example, Keith, because I would have played at Wezo with Wezo at Belvedere under 15. And Wezo was literally, I mean, that size, right? And I'm not exaggerating when I say he was that size. And the funny story is when, we, when I first went up, because I, I went on trial to Leeds and after a couple of days, they, they brought me down to the office and they offered me a contract. And I was like, I thought I was only going over there just for... I don't know why, what I was going on for a holiday. <laughs> you, and that's another thing with the Irish. We have this perception that, oh, they're so much better than us. But then you actually go over into that environment and they're not one bit better than us. If anything, we're better than them in a lot of cases. So that kind of happened to me after a couple of days. I was like, I fit in no problem here. I'm, I'm fine with this. So after two days, knock on the door, we were staying in digs, brings me down to the office. Um, the youth development officer, John Bilton was his name. Alan, we want to offer you a contract. And I'm like, stunned you know at 14 years of age and this Sligo boy thinking where is my life going now kind of thing so he picks up the phone and rings me mum right and there was no mobiles right we had a it was landline rings me mum and she she starts crying down the phone me mum because me mum was always just put your head into the school books don't be worrying about the football right? so she had no interest in the football so she just goes oh, I'll get his dad I'll get his dad so dad comes on and then dad's trying to be all professional or whatever but they're taken aback but that went from that was the Tuesday they flew them over on the Friday. 
all my family, my two sisters as well, and my mum and dad, um, wined and dined us for the weekend and put them up and all that, showed us all around the place and looked after us great. I played a match on the Sunday for the under-16s, it was at the time. Brought us down to the office after the match and bang, three and a half year contract on the table. And that's how it all happened. That's, it was as, as literally as simple as that. And I'm like, and it says, we want Alan to go home on the flight with G tonight, get his stuff and come back here in the morning. And I was like, no, mum. I'm like, I was only in fourth year. I says, no, mum. I'm, I'm, I says, I have no problem signing or whatever. Yeah, I'd love to sign, but I says, I need to go home and get my head around this. And I'll do a year at home, come over here on holidays and I'll sign next year. So then their argument to that was, that's fine. But if you're going back to Ireland for that year, we want you to play at the highest level that you can play at in Ireland, which was the DDSL at the time. And that was Belvedere. So this is where I came across Wezo. And to get back around to the chat about the technical side of things, Wezo, Keith, I'm not joking, was that size, right? And my dad used to drive up because the Ireland manager at the time of the under-15s was a fella called Vincent Butler. And Vincent was involved with Belvedere, and he still is. So when we said this to Vincent about Leeds wanting to play with a, a club in Ireland or whatever, they were like, yeah, we'd have Alan, no problem. So I used to drive up every Sunday morning with my dad, play a match and drive home to Sligo. Um, and this is where it comes back to your parents and the level of commitment. Like, it's amazing what to do for you, you know. But so we used to drive up and the first day we ever went up. Obviously, we knew no one. Vincent welcomed us in, introduced us to the managers, but I didn't know any of the players. And there was this little lad. We were out warming up. And then days of warm up was you just go out and kick the ball, pass it up and down to each other. And then the manager calls you in at 10 to 11, throws you the jersey and out to go and play. So kicking away and I was kind of looking at this little fella and I was thinking to myself well he couldn't be playing because we were under 15 there was a lot of big lads like and I'm saying he couldn't be playing so anyway passing away next thing the manager calls us in so he starts throwing out the jerseys as he did one two three so comes to me I think number eight gives me the jersey so number 11 throws it to the little fella right <laughs> so I was looking and in my head I'm thinking this little fella can't be playing like he's going to get murdered here you know so that was grand. So I had a kind of warm-up top. So I ran over to the side of the pitch where my dad was and just threw him the warm-up top. And he says to me, the little fella's not playing, is he? And I said, I, well, they've given him a jersey. I think he is that, you know? So he says, well, look, good luck and enjoy. So first pass out to Wezzo on the wing, right? So he starts almost running through fella's legs, Kate. Like, it was amazing, right? We won the match and this little fella just blew me away. Like, I was like, wow. And it was the first time I'd come across a lad where I thought, wow, this fella's amazing. And he was, as I say, he was that size. So we came off the pitch anyway, and this was my first introduction to Wezzo. So we got back in the car, when all was done, got back into the car, and I looked at me dad, and he looked at me, and he just goes, the little fella. And we were just <laughs> like, that was it. like, And that was the start of it, but that was the time when he was playing then. So he would have played with us under 15, 16, 17, but we would have been going off with the Irish teams anytime time was a, a squad announced. Wezzo never got picked. And it was always because that the, the, basically it just used to boil down to he's too small, and that was always the that was his label. He's too small, and it took him years then to eventually get his chance and go on. And thankfully he's had the career that he's had. But it would have been an absolute travesty had Wezo never had the career that he had. And purely down to the comparison I make, if Wezo was a fourteen-year-old in Spain, he'd be lauded because of his technical ability. Over here it was he's too small. Now thankfully that's changing now, and as I say. The emphasis now is a lot more on the technical side of things. And that kind of silly argument of a lad being too small is kind of hopefully for a bygone era, you know. So what age were you when you went to, when you eventually landed full-time in Leeds, 16? I, 
16 then I moved over mm. the following year um, and yeah I struggled bad the first year like I was so homesick um, and Leeds part of the contract to give you six flights so home six flights home so ideally you're going home obviously your holidays Christmas Easter or whatever um, but I think I took 13 flights that year I was a disaster I really was to the point where I packed my bags then one night I just said look I can't do this um, and it was full of virus like it was loads of virus great lads we all lived in digs two to a room I was rooming with a fella called Brian McChrystal a great lad from Dundalk um, there was other lads from Dublin and then there was obviously the first team lads Gary Kelly Ian Hart Steve McPhail Alan Mabry and they were great like Gary Kelly was an absolute legend couldn't do enough for the young lads uh, because they had all gone through it as well Yeah. And but it came to the point where yeah I packed my bags one night and I said look I'm, I'm, I'm done I can't do this no more and um, I used to be ringing home balling down the phone and all like you know uh, and that's the side that people don't see like a lot of lads struggle with that so I, ran, I, I eventually packed the bags booked the flight and I remember ringing home and my dad basically saying to me he says we've no problem with you coming home absolutely if you're not happy come home we'll support you whatever you want to do um, but do me one favour he says don't just get up and go because I had a, I had the bags packed and was getting a flight he says don't just go they've been so good to you don't do that. He says, sleep on it, wake up in the morning, go down to the office and just say, look, I'm sorry, but I can't do this. And, and that's it. So that's what I did. I went down to the office the following morning and Alan Hill was the head at the time. And he said to me, no problem, son. Absolutely. Because they were dealing with this with other lads and all over the years. He says, no problem. But he says, you need to make a decision. He says, go home now. He says, but if it takes three days, three weeks, three months, you need to make a decision of what you want to do whether you want to be back here. He says, you can't keep going home every three or four weeks. And that was it. I went home. Then I think I went home for about three weeks. And then I decided, yeah, look, I want to go back and I want to make a go of this. And that was it. I never kind of looked back after that. Then I kind of went over and just stuck my head into it then and got on with it. I wonder, was there something in that, Al, where you got the opportunity and fair play to your dad as well, like, and probably the leads, the guy in Leeds as well, knowing what to do. Like you kind of got the opportunity then over those three weeks to make up your own mind. There was no, mm. I'd, say, I'd say initially it was like, as you said, you didn't really know what was going on. There's a contract offered to you. You're, you know, you're kind of, you know, you're caught up in it. And, you know, in that situation, young people can feel like, well, this, I'm not sure if this is my decision or if I'm just going along with it. So just to have that opportunity to go three weeks. Okay. Yeah, no, this is my decision. This is actually what I want to do. That can mean a lot to a young lad, I'd imagine. Yeah, absolutely, Keith. And like you often, like, especially nowadays with podcasts and with the amount of kind of interviews people do, and you often hear sports people are like, yeah, from day one, I knew kind of that was it. I wanted to be a footballer. I often question a lot of that, to be honest, Keith, you know, like, because as you said, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, those years where you're with your friends and your pals, I don't know too many people who sit down at 10, 11 and be like, that's it. I want to be a, a sports star or a cycler, cyclist or whatever the case may be. And that was the, the thing with the football. Then it kind of, all that was happening around me without me even kind of going, wow. Like, the, you know, and especially as I said, the, the point I made about coming from Sligo, you have your little group of friends and your family and, and, and small town and you do your little bits, what you do. And I'm thinking, this is it. Like, and I'm happy with this. This is great. Like, you know, even Dublin seemed a million miles away at the time. Um, so for all that to happen, I suppose maybe that was a reason. I was a home bird too. I was very close to my family as well. So it was a big change to be obviously in a big city then. And that's nothing against Leeds. As I say, like they couldn't have done any more for us. Like we were so well looked after. You're on digs. There's a 
chef full-time meals food everything or training full-time but if I look back now and I'm not sure what it's like I'd love to think it's different and I do think it's different now because there is more emphasis on younger individuals and 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 suffering I suppose or mental health as you say which has become so prominent with with people now we were literally kind of the way I would put it is to do everything to get you once to get you because there was other clubs fighting for you as well. Like I could have went to Liverpool and Newcastle. So there was other clubs. Once they get you, once you signed that form, it's like you're a piece of meat then. And they have you. And then, so it's up to you kind of thing then, which is fine. But they have you in the morning. So they set out the rules and, and whatever you wake up and you're training half 10 to half 12. See, once half 12 comes one o'clock, you're back to your room. And it's just a case of, there's not too many coming back to the room and saying, all right, we've an activity set up now. We'll bring you out here and, and we've school doing this and we and how, how are you feeling? No one pulls you into an office like every three or four weeks. How's things going? How are you feeling? How are you getting on? It was none of that. It was like literally, this is it. Deal with it kind of thing, you know. I think it's different now uh, with a lot of young lads and and maybe it is a little bit easier. But And then there, I suppose you look back now, the way the League of Ireland has gone now and they're always trying to um, progress that. There's, there's an opportunity here for younger lads to maybe go at a later age. Like they were telling me when I said I'm going home for a year, they were nearly looking at that thing and that's that's a year that you're going to miss out on. Like, you, are you sure you want to do this kind of thing? You need to come now type thing. And I'm not sure. I look back now and think the cream will always rise, Keith. Even if I stayed on till 18 and played and did me leaving cert and played here, I still believe I would have went away somewhere even after that. And I might have been better served doing that. Like I look at the likes of Seamus Coleman and Kevin Doyle and Shawnee Maguire lads who have done it that way and they've all got on fine. If anything, some of them have got on better than the lads who have gone at 15 and you're caught up in the net and it's, it's much tougher to come through them because there's so many other lads in that net with you. Somebody, uh, my young lad plays with Newbridge United. He, he got signed from Newbridge Town. <laughs> we transferred. Um, <laughs> the rivals. But in, in, when he was in Newbridge Town, I remember a guy called Gary in there, one of the coaches, saying to me that his, his dream for the la- his bunch of lads that he had was that he'd get them to play for Newbridge Town, not go to Dublin clubs, play for the first team, and then maybe progress. He was hoping that some of them might get a scholarship to UCD mm-hmm. uh, and, 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 go to college, and maybe play for UCD. And he was saying, even at that stage, you could still, if you're good enough and you work hard enough, you, you've a bit of education behind you. Maybe you've a degree at that point or a diploma or something. And then he said, if you're if you're playing for UCD, and then you could get signed to one of the bigger clubs in Ireland, and even then you can go. You still have you know a good part of your twenties to go and play mm. for five or six years or seven years in England if you're good enough. He said to him, it seemed like a much better path, you know. Uh, so there seems to yeah. be a lot of talk around that, you know. Definitely, Keith. Yeah. And like, I'm only like, I'm just speaking from my own personal experience. And that was, I suppose, the, the way my path was kind of put. Um, but certainly now from knowing what I know of my own experience and being through it, and obviously the work I kind of involved in now and knowing the, the, the scene here and the way things are with younger lads now, and obviously they're trying to progress the league, as I say here, there is better opportunities. And I off, I do, there's no right or wrong way. Like there's a lad that might go 15, 16, be exceptional and come through. John O'Shea or these type lads, whatever, that's fine. Like there's, there's plenty of them. But I've just noticed in recent years, the more successful ones have been ones who've tended to go a little bit later. And it's not so much the fact that I don't think it comes down to talent at that stage. They're more mentally prepared, I think, if they're going at 18, 19, whereas I was going at 15 or 16, not having a clue about anything in life, never mind 
leaving home to live in another country, like, you know. Um, so I just think they're more mentally prepared to, to handle everything maybe that's thrown at them at a young age. And a lot gets thrown at you at a young age, you know. Like, and again, I think it's changed now uh, because of maybe society has changed, but it was very, very ruthless when I went over there, you know. As I say, you were like a piece of meat. It was, if you're not doing it, there's another fella behind you. There's another fella behind him. There's another fella. And they just pass you on like that. There's no kind of, oh, well, we better look after Alan and, and we hold off with this fella. It's like, okay, Alan's not doing it. The next fella, the next fella. Um, so there, but as I say, there's no right or wrong way. Like, but if I, I often think, say, for Harry, or example, or say my, my sister's son, or if someone who I knew close to me ever came to me for advice now or whatever, um, I'd like to think I'd be in a good position to maybe advise them on how to maybe go about it, you know. It was harder for my mum and dad because we were literally, it was like becoming a parent key of a kid that you're learning on the job. My mum and dad were literally learning every day about me being a footballer in England. There was nobody who came to us and says, okay, Ronnie, I would advise him to do this or we go down this road or, or maybe he's better off doing this. It was literally, they were just trying to support me as parents as best they could purely as parents, but with no experience of, advising me how to be a footballer or how to be this or you know kind of so there's all that side of it as well um but again that goes back to the, what the point i was making about life learnings you learn as you go and uh, i know so much now that i wish i knew at 16 Keith. and i suppose <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. why that's why we're telling our kids every day and when they're getting annoyed with us and they're thinking are you thinking you know it all we probably know a little bit more than what they know 14 or 15 just a small bit what what were you doing then what how did you like there must have been bad influences in there 16 17 look like with all that spare time like i mean did gambling come into it was there uh gambling never did no gambling never did um, not, not it was for you. more like was there other la- like were you no no i never no. seen it around in, in leeds now maybe the old, some of the older lads or whatever um possibly and you do hear that nowadays i think that's become more prominent now um even just in society because gambling is just it, to me it's becoming basically an epidemic with people now you know people are really uh, and some people are going down the wrong road with it or whatever but back then 20, 20 what's that 20 years ago it, it wasn't uh certainly not in in leeds or for me or any of the other lads basically just time in your hands and missing home kate to be honest with you um there was the odd little night out here and there and we would have got into trouble for that or whatever but i never drank up until i was 18 either um but I still would have enjoyed being out and about with the lads or whatever. Now, when we would have got into trouble, I remember there was a funny one on Paddy's day. Um, and there was this Irish bar in town. We were only 16, 17. And there was this Irish bar. And of course, Paddy's day. And, and you tend to, I wouldn't be the most patriotic person in the world. Kind of, t- Obviously, I'm Irish and I'm proud to be Irish. But I wouldn't be going around shouting about Ireland and have tattoos on my arms about Ireland or anything like that kind of thing. But... When you're, when you're over there in a different country, and maybe because it was England or whatever, you tend to become a bit more patriotic. I don't know what, what that means or what it's about. Um, and there was a lot of other Irish lads with us. So Paddy's Day was a big thing for us. And I love Paddy's Day anyway, right? I always used to love Paddy's Day for some reason. And I still do, actually. But when Paddy's Day came in England, it was like, we're the Irish, this is our day. <laughs> but the English hadn't a clue, obviously, what was going on. So we done our training. It was just a normal St. Paddy's Day fell on a Wednesday. It was a normal Wednesday in England, but this was like Christmas Day for us, Paddy's Day. So we'd have the Irish tunes on and whatever. And um, so then there was an Irish bar in town. So we were all planning, we're going into the Irish bar in town, right in Leeds. So we finished up training and we used to get the we got the bus in, say at one o'clock in the day. 
Um, now, some of the boys were drinking. I actually wasn't drinking. But we only went in for, say, the afternoon till maybe seven or eight. We used to have a curfew. You have, you have to be out home by a certain time and all. So we went in for the afternoon, right? And nothing, like, the pub was packed, but full of expats and Irish and whatever. And it, all of English life was going on around us. But this one pub was like a pub in Temple Bar, right? <laughs> so we're enjoying ourselves, having the crack and whatever, mixing in with everyone. And next thing, time comes to go home or whatever. But people are outside the door and all. But this is mad, Kate, about stuff. And we never knew this at the time, right? We got into trouble then a few weeks after for, there was a thing with the phone. The boys, there used to be a pay phone out in the corridor, right? And wasn't the phone rigged. So you didn't have to pay for the calls. So whatever way it was rigged, we could have free calls home. So what we used to do, we used to set up a roster, right? And so I was like four to five. The next lad was five to six. The next lad, that was your hour to ring home, right? <laughs> and this is lads in Northern Ireland, Wales, wherever, right? Because we were all, and, now, and I have to say all the lads, we, like, it was English lads, Scottish lads, Welsh lads, great lads, right? We all, we used to, we did have great crack as well in there. Um, but we used to have the roster to ring home. Didn't find out about the phone being rigged and we were all hauled down into the office and we had to go through the phone and, and we had to highlight which was your calls and whatever and we had to pay up or whatever, right? So that was, but didn't they get us into the office one by one and they were able to tell us and, and this, this is mad how this happened. They were able to tell us, see, five weeks ago, 17th of March, we were driving through town and we seen you all outside the pub going mad, right? <laughs> And we never knew, and they kept it to themselves. And it was only when something else cropped up to use that against us. Um, and it just got like we were there thinking we were having the best day of our lives. And just by chance, wasn't the head fella driving through? Now, the chances of that are just like Leeds, a big city. He happened to be driving by, and we all got caught for being out or whatever. So there was stuff like that, like not, no like malice stuff, or um, but there was little incidents like that. And um, but yeah, like I look back on the likes of those, and they're funny kind of stories, you know. Like, uh, like Lee Sharp or uh, Lee Sharp when Fergie turned up at a party, a house party. Do you, do you, yeah, do you that story. Like they used yeah. to say, they used to say that Fergie had his spies all over the town. The lads couldn't yeah. go anywhere. That's probably probably the way it was. With with, I suppose you see, you probably stood out as well, you know, as you, people probably knew you as the young in in a town like that as the footballers and like you probably felt like you were anonymous but but you probably stuck out like a sore thumb i live in newbridge here and it used to be a thing that like the jockeys would go out together you know and you just see them they'd all be in a group and you go oh, there's the jockeys or the the lads the, <laughs> the, the, the lads trained to be officers in the army you know they'd be coming in with their suit and tie and they'd be all like sort of like inconspicuous and you just be like, oh, there's, the, there's the lads in the army. But uh, see, you probably stood out like a sore thumb. You probably had people ringing back on, yeah, the, the young lads are in the army. Yeah, and, yeah that, that could be. We, we never found out as to why. We were always told that they were just happened to be kind of passing by. And But Paddy's Day to us was like Christmas Day. But now don't get me, there was other days where it was brilliant um, and we'd have great crack in the digs. It was always kind of all the senior pros. Like we used to have to do initiation things. And when I think back about this now, this is like... This is dreadful stuff, really, when you think of, I suppose, when you talk about, like, it's effectively bullying, I suppose, like, if you were to kind of describe it nowadays. Um, but we used to have to, so all the England lads would go away. The English lads would go home at weekends and we'd be kept on on campus or whatever and digs. Um, but we used to have to kind of perform different things. So they'd set up things where we'd have to go out and do kind of Royal Rumble out in the pitch and the freezing cold and 
and basically half naked and be running around and pretending we're all doing wrestling Royal Rumble and all it. All these mad mad things are they'd pull you into the room and um it used to be like a court case was the type was the way they used to phrase it. And they'd put up a judge and a jury and did you do this? And it'd have to you'd have to do kind of some sort of whatever kind of thing if if you if you were kind of or a fine put against you or all this kind of stuff. Now what I this was kind of building up your character and resilience as well. But then there's cases where I'm sure you could look and say, well, that's bang out of order. Like, you know, I don't think that kind of stuff goes on nowadays. And I look back often, Keith, as well. Um, and I look at the, the world we live in nowadays, and especially those young lads. I think it's gone too far to the side of where it's kind of like too much kind of looking after people. Not looking after people, but too much to the point where they get it too easy. Like we used to have to clean boots and, and do jobs and clean dress rooms and all that kind of stuff. And I always found that you wouldn't have enjoyed it at the time, but I always thought that was giving lads an incentive to work hard and to, to kind of want to strive to, to you, you, you kind of know what's at the end of this and whatever, what you're kind of working towards. Nowadays, they're handing out contracts like confetti to lads. And I, there's no jobs. You're not cleaning boots. There's none of that kind of stuff. And I still think there's a bit of a balance to be met somewhere with that. Like, you know, that, that there comes a point where you can still kind of, make them realise just what hard work means, but also not be too hard on them, if you know what I mean, kind of thing, you know? Yeah, they probably have to, you know, you probably have to know that to respect your, possibly, you know, the money you're earning at a young age or you know, your potential career or whatever. And I think that maybe there's a big worry around mental health and anxiety and all that. And I think that we're missing the point that there's nothing wrong with anxiety. There's nothing wrong with stress. It's all, the only problem is how you deal with it. So there's nothing wrong mm a young lad to work cleaning boots you know that's not bullying necessarily that's just a job that needs doing and it's a hard job and you, you learn a lot from getting through it you, you know there's there's a lot of mixed messages coming from the whole world of people worrying about mental health and putting people in certain situations and you, you still need to learn you still need to figure stuff out you still need anxiety and stress and that's all part of it so i, I think you're right there's, there's there's definitely a balance the mm. the thing I, I remember reading uh joey barton's book uh I'm a big, I'm a big Joey Barton fan. I like yeah, I, I, I like Joey Barton as well. Like, are, are we, are we unique in that, Keith? I don't know. I, I feel like I might be. I, I wouldn't, t- I wouldn't tell many people, but like, I, I don't know yeah. something about Joey. I just, I, I, I just warm to him. But, but reading his book was fascinating. About like he obviously, um, he came from like you came from Sligo. He came from kind of the flats, you know. He in Liverpool, or, uh, not exactly sure where, but, but he felt like he was he was out to prove himself to every single person like he was mm. like he if he ever got a chance to go training with the first team as a young lad like he'd be kicking lumps off lads and he'd be like if mm. you, you either you're either kicking lumps off lads or or it's going to happen to you kind of like that 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 was the way it was you know mm. absolutely and and again i go back to the point where if you if you speak to people now or, or and they're like oh, i knew at 10 i was going to be a footballer or this kind of stuff Sometimes I question that, but in the example of Joey Barton and say my my kind of where I where I grew up and where I was from, and again it was working class area and stuff. Um, and yeah, like we didn't have we just had normal things growing up like everyone else, and you had to work for everything that you got. But I wonder is it that different for them? Because I've heard Gerard and a few others say something similar with as Joey Barton. I wonder is it different in the sense, Kate, that because there's, there was always an industry, an industry in England of football, 
that they knew what it was like and knew, they knew from a young age to what it meant or what it was like to be a footballer. We don't have the same industry here and we never had. It was almost, it was a dream to go across the water. You'd hear the phrase, to go across the water type thing. It was never a case of, you, you used the example of the young, lad, the young lads wanting to grow up maybe to play for Newbridge Town, me maybe with Sligo Rovers. But that was always kind of, it was on the doorstep, if you know what I mean. But it was never kind of a thing where... Joey Barton's probably talking about maybe he had a dream of maybe going on to play for Liverpool, whereas Liverpool probably seemed like a million miles away from him at the time. Sligo Rovers to me always felt close, if you know what I mean, and achievable. And yeah, like I, I'm not bad, I, whatever I could play there. Whereas could you play for Man United? Whoa, I don't know about that like type thing. And they're across the water and how would I ever end up there type thing? I don't know, is it just maybe him saying that because they knew um, what it meant because they always had an industry. And, and I only realized that when I went to England as well, I lived with a family when I moved to Sheffield. And Janet was the, the landlady, she was a lovely landlady. And it was myself and Omar Morrison living in the digs, the, a dairy lad. But they had a son, Pat. Now, when I say Pat, it was the biggest Sheffield Wednesday fan you would ever meet. Like, it was absolutely bonkers. And they were just a working class family. And Pat used to have a normal job. He'd go down earning whatever he was earning, like small wage, whatever. But it all, all he was doing, working Monday to Friday, was to pay for his ticket for the match on a Saturday. And that's across the board in England. That's the industry. They're fanatics. That's why you see it. It's so big. Like the, the football is just, it's a monstrosity. And every little town has a stadium, a big stadium. Uh, we never had that. Maybe the GEA was the kind of industry here. I don't know. But um, So maybe sometimes it's the likes of that with Joey Barton. You hear the English lads because they always knew what it was like maybe, wow, to, to play there. Whereas with us, I never got that. Now I'm, I'm like I'm not. That's just me speaking for me. I'm, there might be other lads in Ireland who felt that, but I'm not so sure. And I think it's purely down to the fact that we should have had an industry, but we don't. So hopefully, someday that's what we're striving for. Um, but we're a good bit behind. Uh, yeah, he just seemed so bloody. He seemed to be a little bit clued into. It, it, for him, it was about survival, though. I, I, I felt like yeah, he, he, yeah. he kind of had a fairly rough. No, he was tough. Upbringing. He was tough. Yeah, yeah, he was a tough lad, and I think his dad was in and was in and out of prison. And uh, I, I remember reading a story about his dad play and him going to see his dad playing football on the Sunday morning. You know, and just a bit of a hard nut, you know. So I think yeah. he, he kind of had that in him anyway. But a very really interesting book, interesting guy. You know, apart from the fact that he, he suddenly getting that French accent that time he went to. <laughs> <laughs> he is interesting but he he would like he got into all sorts of trouble when he was young he would have gone through the exact same things say as what I was doing at Leeds he was doing at Man City and he got into all sorts of trouble they're all highlighted in the book it was a night I think he put the, the cigarette in the lad's face and it was terrible stuff for him um, but the reason I like him now I've read that book and I've listened to, a lot, to him a lot over the years and um, I think he's turned his life around to be honest with you Keith you know and I, I admire him for that to be honest Um yeah, you can see was, you can see with him, he's always like searching, like he's he's obviously like he's dealing with his own demons, you know, mm. but he's always searching to be better, to better himself. He's always looking for well, how can I be better at this? How can I make myself better at that? He's always looking to improve himself. And you, you'd have to admire a lad like that. You know, you'd have to forgive him his his past, uh, his past sins and kind of go, no, fair play, you know, pat him on the back. That, you know? I, I, and that's the reason, as I said to you, I don't know, are we unique in that regard, but I think people are too quick to run people down. I love to see, especially him, he obviously had his troubles. He's turned himself around and he wants to better himself. Anyone that wants to better themselves and get on, I'm all for. Mm. Um, and, and good luck to people like that. I love to, to see that. 
no matter who they are. But he, he like he is really interesting person. I like you'd often hear Joey Barton's on a podcast. I always try and listen to it because he really is very, very interesting person, you know. And now you'd, you'd have the cynics that would easily, oh, he's just being false or he'd fall back into his old ways. Or he'd do, I'm all for like I, I find him really interesting. Yeah, I think we just were too quick to judge people as well and not give, give them a second chance. Where, when did you, so when did you leave Leeds? How did, what happened there? So yeah, so like Leeds were, uh, Leeds were, Leeds were riding high at the time. And to be fair, like there were. Can I ask you, were, was, was this like uh, the Leeds with Boyer and Smith and. Yeah, yeah. yeah all those lads. And uh, what was Yeah, this? and even go, going back to the point there about Joey Barton being driven, there was an, there was an example of that Leeds I found with, um, an Australian lad, Harry Kewell. Yeah. And, and Harry Kewell was that. But Harry Kewell, I used to think at the time, he was very talented, obviously, but he was breaking into the first team when we were, so I would have been maybe 16, 17, he was 19, 20, breaking into the first team. And I never got the hype around him, right? There was a lot of hype. And we used to go to all the matches. And I used to be looking and saying, yeah, he's like, talented, but it, what, what's the hype? Then he trained with us one day, right? He was coming back from an injury and he trained with the reserves. And I was like, another Wezzo moment. I was like, oh, okay. I get the hype. <laughs> I get it now, right? He was gliding past people. He was amazing, right? So I thought, oh, this fella is unbelievable. But what I, when I look back on him then on the two or three years, I always found him where some of the other, like say the likes of Woodgate. Woodgate came, was coming through like what we were doing, living in digs, went on to play in the first team and had a great career. But Woodgate would always have time for the young lads. And he'd be down still in the middle of the young lads and having the crack and whatever. Gary Kelly was the same and all those lads, a lot of the first team. And, and the majority would talk to the younger lads. Um, some, of them, some of them were, the odd one or two were awkward enough. The majority would talk and have the crack with the younger lads as well. Q will rarely, if ever. And there was almost this kind of arrogance about him, I, I thought, right? But you know what it was with him, Keith? He was just so driven the blinkers on. I'm only here to become a footballer, and that's it. And that's obviously what he done. And I've, I not, not that I've gotten to know him, but my best friend now in football, Alan Mabry, who was at Leeds at the time, um, he's assistant manager to Harry now at Oldham Athletic. And I've got, I've obviously known more and more about Harry over the years. And that's literally that's the example. He was just he came, and he came over from Australia. I'm crying about coming from Sligo. <laughs> he, he he hadn't he he hadn't used thirteen flights that year, had he? <laughs> I don't think he used one. I was home every. Michael O'Leary was meet me every week in the in the airport, saying, "Ah, fair play, y'all." <laughs> but uh, but he no, but, but, but but his his he was so driven that you probably saw that as an arrogance, or he's he's up himself that lad, or whatever. But he was yeah. just he was just so focused. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and at the time, maybe like that's exactly how we saw it. You look back now and they, I'm like, see him. And I think back to little examples of it. And I think, yeah, he was only here for one reason and good luck to him, you know, and he went on to be a star, like, superstar. So, yeah. I mean, that was some, that was some team they had. Uh, did they lose? I'm, I, I'm not, I'm not a huge football aficionado. I know you're the expert, but did, did they lose the champions league with that team? Semi-final that year. Yeah. Semi-final, and that was yeah, the thing. Yeah. Like, like, Everybody goes on about the class of '92. So United, Beckham, the Scholes, Giggs, all those lads. And but this was probably the closest that you would ever get to the class of '92. The Leeds batch that came through. So you had Woodgate, Kewell, Smith, McPhail, um, like 
unbelievable talent, Boyer, whatever, all those lads at the time. And even though it was great to be around Leeds, for us as young lads, again, I go back to, and, and look, it's the way things pan out. But if you were at Leeds now, you'd have a much better chance as a young lad. You know what I mean? Now, they're doing well in the Premier League, but say for the last, it's been doom and gloom for the past five to six, seven years that we're in the championship and they even were relegated further. And um, So you, if you were a young lad then, you had a great chance. Now, they were mm. always a monster club. Um, but that's just, look, that's just the way things pan out, you know. Um, but they were an unbelievable group. Yeah, Woodgate was amazing. Smith, Alan Smith was unbelievable. Alan Smith was the first one I saw when I went to England. We played in a training match. So our first morning training, they mixed in the under-17s and the under-19s and played a match, mixed and mingled everyone. And we were thrown in. It was myself and a Sligo lad went on trial with me. Jonathan Davey was his name. And we were just thrown in or whatever. And there was this lad playing up front. And again, another Wezzo moment. This fella just blew us away. We were like, oh my God. We came off the pitch and I was like, who is this fella? And it was Alan Smith. And he was absolutely amazing. He went on then. He got called in. They were, they were mad about him. He got called into the first team. And I think he was 17. There was a couple of injuries to the first team lads. They brought him to a game in Liverpool. He got called in at the last minute because there was three or four injuries. And they brought him. Now, they were always mad about him and he probably he would have went on to play anyway. But this was, they brought him in, along to the Liverpool match in the squad. He was living in the digs with us. And he came on a sub and he scored with his first touch. This is the famous story. He scored with his first touch at Anfield and they beat Liverpool. So when they brought him home that evening, he was coming back to the digs to us after scoring in Anfield. I'm out on the dodgy phone bringing up <laughs> in, in, the, in the corridor and the corridor used to be beside the front door and I was the first person he came, he, he bumped into as he came in and we were all like, obviously the academy lads were so happy and chuffed for him. It was an amazing moment really like because that's what we were all striving for and here was a lad who's after, he did it and it was unbelievable. Um, but yeah, I was on my dodgy phone. <laughs> That's a great story, though, to be the first yeah. person to meet him, you know, in the digs. I was the first one, yeah. Smitty, yeah. And he, again, he went on to have a brilliant career. And But a funny thing with him as well, he, even going back to the earlier bit about the physicality and stuff, he was the most technically gifted player. He was so good technically, right foot, left foot. And he was very much in the mould of, say, like a Burkhamp. In He used to play up front, but he'd drop into little holes and little touches and flicks and, um, very kind of clever, dainty little footballer. And a fella called Dave Murrington came in, right? And Dave Murrington was the hardest man I've met in football, Keith. Literally the toughest man. It was either, he'd have you by, like he'd literally be having you by the scruff of the neck. And, and this was his way, like, you know, and, he, and, and it was either you get on, you go on, get on board with it or else you're cast aside. Like. And he would have grown up in tough times over the years and that was the culture and whatever. It was coming towards an end with us he wouldn't last nowadays with his style of management or whatever, you know, but he was the toughest. So he brought Shearer through at Southampton. And that's why sometimes, that's why I still have that bit of old school in me, even though I'm young. It's, it's, it's too soft now. It's too soft. I find, I look at football now, it's too soft. It really is. It annoys me now a little bit. Um, and the demands and, and, and the stuff they put on players back then, you never see anybody having a go at anyone on the pitch now or, or fellas. And I'm not saying roar and shout at fellas, but just be demanding and get after people. And that's all gone now, you know. And, and, and I don't know, would you get away with it now? You, people tell me you would, you wouldn't. I don't know. But Dave Merrington literally wouldn't last a second nowadays. But back then it was either he'd have you by the scruff of the neck. Like. But he got his hands on Smith. He was the reserve team manager. And Smith was like a star. 
a star in England, never mind just at Leeds. Everybody, like there's some lads you just go, all right, he's going to, he's going to be a star. Simple as that. There's no two ways about it. And, and that was the narrative around Smith all the time. Playing for England and all, which over there was like playing for England at 16, 17 was even a big thing, you know, for them. And Merrington got his hands on him anywhere with the reserves. Basically says to him, no, you're, you're not going to get, you're not, you're, you're too soft. You're not going to make it. You're not going to come through. You need to toughen up. You need to harden up. So Smith took this on board, right? So Smith literally went, and this is the truth, Keith, right? He went from the most technically gifted footballer to going around smashing people, right? And you watch him now playing in the games. And when he broke through at Leeds, he was the lad, like the local lad. He'd be smashing into a tackle. The fans would be going mad. He'd be out to the fans. And this was all because of Merrington. Now, it helped him in certain situations that he was tough and he could handle himself and all that. But he went totally went away from the clever, brilliant, technically footballer that he was. Like, he's still a good footballer. But I used to look at this going, this is mental, like, you know. Now, he went on and played for Man United and had a great career. But it's just, it's crazy the way... It, it, it just goes back, I suppose, to stuff even we're saying about you go back to Jack Charlton, Mick McCarthy, Stephen Kane. They all have their own different views and philosophies on the game and they're trying to put their kind of imprint on a team or a player. And that was Merrington's way. And he basically said to Smith, unless you toughen up, forget about it. Because he had share and that's the way he got share through. Yeah. A share was tough. He you know? was tough. He was hard. But he, but I, yeah. think, I think Smith kind of was Fergie's, was, Fergie brought him in. He saw him as a sort of a Roy Keane type, didn't he? Uh, and he? And Keith, he was never, ever in a million years a Roy Keane type. Uh, honestly, if you saw this lad at 17, 18, he was like Burkham. And then, so there's like Burkham, Keane, night and day, it's like the, two, yeah. the way it is, the way they two, them two play. And that's, and Smith changed his whole game. Um, it was, it was, it was actually, it's more, it was just crazy to watch it and see, because as I said, when I saw him first, I was like, oh my God, this fella's an absolute superstar. And then he went around to just like, smashing lads. Yeah. yeah. Joey Barton style. Yeah, he was <laughs> like that, yeah. Um, Jesus, we've, we've, we've been an hour talking already. Um, I feel like there's going to have to be a part two or something. <laughs> yeah. well, we're still back in 1998. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I can talk. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad it's thing. It's great. Jeez, well, on a podcast, it's great. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I, I feel like I'm going to have to get back to you but again. I'll, yeah, um, no panic. Yeah. Will you... Did, you, did you play for Sligo Rovers then when you came back or what was the... No, no, no. Oh, um, I grew happened? up low. I grew up loving Sligo, obviously from Sligo. We were fans as kids. It was all, it was the first thing we did was go to the showgrounds as young fellas. And it was still, still walking in the showgrounds gates. Now you, you love the buzz of it, you know? The candy my, uh, That's dirty. Now look, there you go. That's the bitter Sligo red. The, the, the bitter red. red the bitter yeah. red. So um, my uncle played for Sligo Rovers. Harry scored the winning goal in the cup. So it was always a big thing. And, I'm not even the, the most famous person in my family, Keith. <laughs> <laughs> can, Harry's can, the hero. Can I have his number? I need someone for Harry, the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Harry's the hero. We all love Harry, but Harry scored the winning goal for Sligo. So it was always a big thing and um, playing for Sligo Rovers. And obviously Sligo is a mad soccer town. Like we everywhere. And it, it's it's basically the heart of the town, the showgrounds. It's and like, everybody loves it. I grew up in Athlone. Like, there's these garrison mm. garrison towns like Kilkenny, Sligo, uh, Athlone, mad into the football. 
um, Atlone's gone to shit now, unfortunately. Yeah. So well, it's, it's funny you mention Atlone because when I was starting supporting Sligo Rovers as a young fella, and going to, when I got to an age where my mum and dad would allow me go to matches, away matches, we used to go to St. Mel's Park because Sligo were in the first division at the time. And the big rivalry was at loan were like the rivals going for the league. So Mickey O'Connor was like the at loan legend. And so it was always off. We stopped Mickey O'Connor, we'd win the match. Um, and we'd go down to and St. Mel's Park when I think of driving into that place. Oh my God. And we were only, I would have been 9, 10, 11 going to the matches with like maybe an adult who would bring us or whatever. Um, but there were great times. And that's like, that's all my memories keep going up. Going away. Do you, and the away matches are much better than the home matches. Yeah, you'd be scared going into Mel's though. Like, and I came from Athlone and myself and my dad walking in, like, you know, you'd be holding your dad's hand tight, like walking walking around St. Mel's. But I, and I remember being at a match and we just mentioned Derry there. There was a, there was a stone fight between the Derry a lads. stone fight? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was, <laughs> there, there was stones and gravel on one end where you could stand yeah. at the, the back end of the Mel's. Bank, yeah. And uh, th- literally the Derry lads were down there and they just... I don't know what happened in the match. I wasn't paying attention. I was only a young lad. But next thing there was like there was a running stone fight. The match was going on, <laughs> but in the <laughs> but in the stands and at the back there was lads running, throwing stones. It was a proper riot, you know. My dad was yeah. trying, trying to get me out of there. Absolutely mental, but like crazy times. Um. So you so you didn't play for Sligo then? So no. So sorry. Yeah. Um. So so Harry uh, would have played. My best friend then would have played Connor, uh, and would have had a great career with him and. It came close. See, I was gone Tingden then. I would I left at 16, so I, I was too young then. But when I came back playing in the League of Ireland, it came very close then. I was playing with... Um, I can't remember who I was with at the time. Dundalk, or, no, I don't know who. But the contract, whoever I was with, was up. And Paul Cook was the manager of Sligo at the time. And he, he was obviously speaking to Connor, and he knew I was from Sligo and Connor's best friend. So he was on to him saying, look, what's the story with Alan and all? Would he, would he come back? Because when I came back from England, Keith, I just lived in Dublin. I never went back and lived in Sligo. So for me to go back and play with Sligo was like literally coming from Dublin to play with Sligo or would I move back home? And obviously we were living up here at the time. So it was, it was a big thing, a, a big decision. But I was keen to play with them anyway. I, I kind of wanted to play then. And so we on the phone and negotiating would I come down and play and all so I went down anyway the first time Paul Cook and Paul Cook's a brilliant character Keith um, and he's gone on to do great things in England now but he was a great manager for Sligo Rovers as well and he's a brilliant character everybody loved him in the town but he'd be out and about amongst the fans and in the pub and he'd have a few pints and a bit of crack but he was a, he was a really good character but when it came to the football side of it brilliant manager so I kind of and he was a really infectious character like you'd, you'd want to play for him you know that type of fella so he was ringing me and I was like, yeah, I want to come. I want to play. So went down the first day and ended up going off drinking all day. This is the truth, right? There was a fella in town, an old manager. So Kooky was like, oh, no, come on, come on. We, we go out and see this fella. Ended up drinking all day, right? So I was like, I'm down here to negotiate a contract. Ah, look, it'll be grand, it'll be grand, right? So I went back home that evening. I mean, mum's like, well, what's the crack did you sign? Because this was a big thing even for them. I mean, family and all of me coming back to play for Sligo. I was like, oh, no, I'm after being out in this, this strand barrel. And she, what do you mean you've been out there all day and all? So he says, then come down to Sunday. So I came down on the Sunday. This was That was during the week. I came down on the Sunday and trained with the team. And we agreed a contract. And I was like, yeah, shook hands with him and all. And I did shake hands with him. And I says, yeah, I'll sign. So when we went up to the office, the lady there who was looking after that kind of the, the administrative stuff, there was no contract. So 
I was like, where's the contract? Like, I'm, I'm ready to sign. She's like, oh, look, we don't have a hair, but come down on Wednesday and sign it then. So I was a bit like, this isn't really great. Like, you know, but so without home, this was a Sunday morning, without home at lunchtime, mum was like, did you sign this? I was like, no. She said, what do you mean he didn't sign? I was like, well, there was no contract. We agreed a deal, shook hands, there was no contract. So I said, I'm coming down again Wednesday to train and I'll sign it. But on the Tuesday, it's St. Pat's ring me. And Jeff Kennan was the manager of St. Pat's. And it was an, an agent actually rang first, Eamon McLaughlin. And he says, have you signed with Sligo? And I says, no, not yet. I says, I've agreed a deal, but I haven't signed. He says, don't sign anything yet. Jeff Kennan wants to talk to you. This is the truth, like, right? So he says, Jeff Kennan wants to talk to you. So I says, grand. So, and Jeff Kennan rings me and he says, look, have you signed with Sligo? I says, no, not yet. He says, well, I want to sign you. Here's the contract. So they were offering a bit more money and it was Dublin and it was St. Pat's who were a big club. So then, rightly or wrongly, but I, you have to be selfish a bit, a little bit, Keith, as a player. You have to look after yourself. Paul Coop would have done the same when he was a player. Every player would do the same. You look after number one because as much as clubs tell you they're loyal and all, they're not. They would turf you out as quickly as you would kind of turn on them. So it all fit, fell into place with the whole... As much as I wanted to go to Sligo, it fell into place with Dublin. And that was probably the main thing. Was It was still Dublin. I w- wasn't having to drive up and down. And um, they did offer a little bit more money. The money didn't really come into There wasn't that much more money, whatever. But I went anyway. They arranged a medical on the Wednesday morning. I was due to be in Sligo on the Wednesday morning. They arranged the medical, St. Pat's. I went and did the medical, passed it, and went over and signed at 11 o'clock on Wednesday morning. Paul Cook is ringing and ringing. Where are you? Where are you? Right. I never answered the phone. Just blanked it until I had the deal signed with Pats. I knew I was covered. And then I rang him and he literally fucked me out of it. Like, <laughs> and he was fully right to do. And he was full. And I, I always thought then, wait till I see him. He's going to devour me. Like, you know, and look, people would say it was right. It was wrong, whatever. I, I, I've absolutely no problem in saying I shook hands, which I did. I shook hands on the deal with him. I, I, I apologised when, when I seen him for that but at the end of the day I had to look after me when I did see him first he did fuck me out of it but that we've, I met him then after that was grand and, and I have great time for Paul Cook to be fair and ironically enough Keith they went on then and won a Cups and League and, and I missed out on all that but again it's like anything as I was saying to you going back to the League stuff you don't look back with regrets that's the way it panned out you just get on with it you know yeah you have to I mean I, I do know from with football, with any career, you you have to look after yourself, man. Look after mm. yourself because that's all you can do. That and no one, and especially football clubs, they'll you know they'll they'll retire you or sell you on whenever they're finished with you. So you, it really is that kind of game. So, jeez, uh, I didn't I didn't even know that. I like I feel like I can't keep you any longer because no, you're grand, you're grand, Keith. Uh, no problem. Um, <laughs> We've been talking we... for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we'll be back for part two then, if that's the case. I part two we... is the new the new career. I think we come back for part two Al, at some stage, and, and we get we get everything from the football to the to the. Are you you're you're not doing the the live the the podcast? The... No, it's actually funny. It's starting now in the next um, couple of weeks. Series oh, two, yeah, yeah. I'm going to start it up because um, the lockdown started that off. Really, I was doing those live chats or whatever, and they they, they seemed to go well, and the lads were great with the time and. Um, it was something to do in the lockdown and then people were saying oh you should do a podcast and I always kind of wanted to do a podcast um, but then Benetti got on board they were great and, and kind of we got it in place so we did the first series last year and it's 
largely based around obviously the football and stuff and what's going on. So I keep it during the League of Ireland season. That was kind of coinciding with that. Um, so that's due to start back on the 19th of March and we'll do Series 2 again when that kicks off. But I'm also planning on doing three or four, maybe like these one-on-ones uh, just to kick it off. So I have a couple of them penciled in for the next couple of weeks and kick it off again, yeah? Brilliant. I put it, I put it, when I do the intro, I'll, I'll mention your, your, your podcast and your, your chats and all that and I'll, I'll send people that way. We're doing a couple, we're planning on maybe doing a thing during the Euros as well. So you mentioned earlier you're not a football aficionado. If you if you brush up on your football, we may have you on. <laughs> well, I'm available. I'll brush up my football. Uh, I'm an armchair supporter. My uh, my son tells me, tells me who the players are. But the um, if you want to get someone who is a League of Ireland, I I was a ball boy for Athlone Town as a young lad, and okay, I I had the record for losing the most amount of balls during the game. <laughs> Did lost, you bring them home with you? No. We lost, we lost five balls in one game and they never, they told me to not ever come back. I was only a young lad. So, I mean, football is a tough game. I understand. I only, I, I was only a ball boy for one game and they sacked me. It's um, a tough industry. So it's, tough, it's industry, a tough industry. You know what I mean? But yeah. my dad, my dad was at the match and he said, I, I looked at everything except what was actually going on the pitch. <laughs> said, you'd make a good steward then that's what they're supposed to do just look out into the stand <laughs> he said you're too busy twirling around that post to, to be paying attention to the match there so, you yeah, go there you go but the uh, but no if we do the euro stuff yeah it, you don't have to be an expert you just have to bring your good funny personality sense of humor and your your um, your social skills Kate which you're very good at so yeah that's what we're planning maybe around the euros like a four week thing um so yeah, that's kind of in. So yeah. that's the plan for the year. If we do, if we do the series two, which we will all when the League of Ireland kicks off, and then when the Euros start in June, we're planning on a weekly, uh, kind of all around the Euros and bring on guests and, and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to be involved. Give me a shout. Yeah, uh, thanks a million for your time. I, I'm definitely gonna. We definitely have to do a part two. Ah, yeah, no panic. Yeah, no, I've enjoyed it, Keith. Yeah, we go back. A, we go back a, a good bit. So you're a good lad. And listen, thanks very much. You're great, thanks. We finally got the chance to do something on a podcast after our Yeah, we, we did have a we did have a chat one day about maybe doing our own. So who knows down the line, Keith. Don't... We might play football again after lockdown if uh Ah yeah, hopefully that'll definitely ha- that'll definitely happen. If um if what's his name lets me back into the group, he kicked me out because I, I did he, Dylan? Oh, Dylan, <laughs> Dylan Dylan messaged me, he said I'm gonna kick you out of the group now because you haven't been turned up in a while. So I'd have to ask yeah, him did... to let, let me back in. He, He's a... He's very protective over that WhatsApp group he is. Yeah, very good. Um, listen, All right, Keith. Best, best to you and the family, and I'll talk to you soon. Mind yourself, man. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Keith. Look at that jingle stuck in my head now. That's a Keith Walsh podcast jingle. Whoever wrote that, fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Thanks very much, Alan Cawley. You're too kind. You're too good. We will have a part two. Um, there's so much more I want to talk to you about, about your getting into TV, uh, doing the radio stuff, um, you know that sort of. It's it, I'd be interested just, just to talk to him about the transition between, you know, football as a job and you know what do you do next. Uh, I did want to get into that with him, but we just ran out of time, and I felt like look, we've I've taken up too much of his time as it is. He's a very generous man, but I didn't want to take the piss. So we'll definitely talk to Alan again, um, and uh, I just like talking to him. He's just he's good good buzzer, you know. Sound lad, good buzzer, good talker. Um, I do want to mention that he has an online show. It's kind of like podcasty, 
and I suppose most people look at it and go, oh, that's the podcast. It's it's online. Um, if you follow him on Instagram and Twitter, you will find it. It's called Callie's Call. And he does it, as he mentioned, uh, around the time of the League of Ireland. And in the lead, lead up to the start of the League of Ireland, he will be recording a few, as he already mentioned. So you just keep an eye, an eye out for him. Let me just see what he is on. Uh, I think he'd be easy enough to find on Instagram. Alan Cawley, there you go. Alan Caw, A-L-A-N-C-A-W, you'll find him. And uh, he's an analyst at RTE Sport. He is Paddy Power Official, League of Ireland Ambassador. His podcast slash live stream, Cawley's Call. And uh, yeah, you'll find all the details there of um, what you need to know about Alan. And there you go. Good, lovely man, lovely family. Uh, and uh, yeah thanks for your time Alan right that's kind of it for me I better go and get this edited and get it up and get out of here and go downstairs and talk to my family a little bit before bedtime can't believe tomorrow's Friday like where's the week gone like obviously if you're listening to this and it's like uh, Monday 2023 you don't care that it's tomorrow that tomorrow's Friday for me but you know I just can't believe I'm just saying look let's not fall out over I was just saying I can't believe tomorrow's Friday that's all okay Cool. You cool? Everybody cool? Everybody cool. Okay, listen, um, thank you very much for listening, as always. I really do appreciate, you know, I've got a sort of a core of listeners that listen to them all and get in touch with me, send me emails, keithwalshpod at gmail.com. I'm growing more and more confident of the email address now that people actually send them. I think at the start I was like, I don't think that email address is working. And then people start sending them, and now I'm like, okay, it works, good. Uh, KeithWalshPod at gmail.com if you want uh, me to uh, deal with any queries, any inquiries, any questions, any thoughts. Do get in touch. Love to hear from you. Um, also, do recommend the podcast to your friends. Word of mouth is the best way. Give us a five-star rating. Subscribe to the podcast. That way you don't have to go looking for them. They just land on your device every Monday. Two of them on a Monday. One on Thursday. Where would you get it? We don't like this is all for free. Do you know what I mean? All for nothing. Where would you get it? Loads of people doing it for free for nothing. Uh, so there you go. If you want to contribute to the podcast as well, there is a supporters link that you click on in the description of the podcast. Click on that. Give us an out. You know whatever you can afford, fifty grand, something small, uh, just to keep us going for the next couple of hours. Uh, we'd be very grateful. Thank you very much. There's Charlie. Hi Charlie. Charlie, don't say hello. See, Charlie, the problem with you is if I say to you, would you bark? Would you bark? Would you bark, Charlie? What are you looking for? If I said to Charlie to bark. Here. I'm aware that you haven't got a clue what I'm doing. I'm just pretending to throw the ball for Charlie. He barks when you don't want him to bark. And then if you want him to bark so that people know he's there, he won't bark. Charlie, I can't throw the ball. I'm in the middle of recording the podcast. Okay, thanks. Um, I'll go. I think I've taken up enough of your time. Mind yourself, be good. Take care of each other. Take care of yourselves. Um, Take some time out. Be selfish. Do whatever you got to do. And remember, when the emergency light goes on and the oxygen masks drop down, be sure to put yours on first before you attend to anybody else. Okay? Remember that. I got to go. Take it easy. Good luck. Bye. I love you.
the Keith Walsh podcast. It does something to me, baby. It's good jingle. Not as good as this one. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 